and welcome to the David and Ronald Show podcast. Happy New Year, Ronald. Happy New Year, David. How's it going? It's not too bad. How are you doing? Not too bad. Dealing with the colder weather that we're having now, minus the, well, I, I mean, I guess we did get some snow, but I would have loved a lot more snow and it happening as you're awake versus the overnight type snow. Yeah, I mean, we had the snowfall on Christmas Eve, and I think that that qualified as a white Christmas Eve because I think officially you have to get like an inch of snowfall on the ground to qualify, and I think we had gotten an inch on Christmas Eve, so it qualified as a white Christmas Eve, but then on Christmas Day it was not snowy at all. And then we just recently had this snowstorm. I mean, earlier in the week we had, or last week, we had that heavy rain all day. And I think if the temperatures were right and the conditions were right, that would have been a snowfall because I think other regions like in the uh, Midwest, they were getting snowfall while we just got rain. And then when we got the snowstorm, the numbers were kind of back and forth because I kept on looking at like the local stations reporting and then what the Weather Channel was saying. And for the Weather Channel, they literally gave like percentages of chance of snow, like 50 percent, 60 percent but there weren't any snowfall amounts. And then when I go back to like ABC7, Eyewitness News, our local station here in New York, then I would see like projections of two to five, three to five, four to six. I think the final number was somewhere like four to six. And I think for most of the city, it was in that range. It came in somewhere between four to six inches of snowfall. I mean, getting up on the morning of, I think this was on Friday morning, when we had the snowstorm, looking out the window, it was already about four, four and a half inches looking out the window. What was interesting is during the day as the sun came out, because the snowfall was primarily Thursday night into Friday morning, and then probably by 9, 10 a.m. it was done, and then the sun came out. And so a lot of the snowfall melted, even though the temperatures were in that 30-degree range. So that was kind of surprising. I would have thought that more of the snow would stick around. And then at night... As the snow melted, everything started to ice up again because the temperatures dropped into the low 30s, I think mid-20s. But then when I went out on Saturday, most of the areas were pretty clean. I mean, there were some piles of snow along the, the sidewalks and where the curb was. But I didn't see, like, a large amount of snow that wasn't plowed. Now, I think it depends on where you are in the city. I mean, in your area, like out in Queens... Just looking out your window, I don't know if you went out, but looking out the window, do you still see like a lot of snowfall out there or does it look like it's pretty much gone or shoveled to the side? It's mostly shoveled to the side. So in the area, they did a very good job of just pushing everything to the side, but keeping the crosswalk clean, which is usually the biggest challenge, right? Where the crosswalk is usually piled up too with some snow. As it starts melting, that becomes ice. So trying to cross the street becomes a challenge. But at this point... You could tell it snowed, but it's clean enough where you can walk around easily without having to maneuver around the piles of snow. Yeah, and I think the other difference is that it was Thursday night into Friday morning, and Friday's a regular weekday. So you don't have like a where if it was like on a Sunday where maybe a lot of stores are closed and businesses are closed, no one's shoveling. Well, here it's a weekday, so you're going to have the shoveling. You're going to have people commuting, so they have to keep the the sidewalks and the streets clear. And so, and this wasn't like a foot of snow. So if it was like a foot of snow, you wake up in the morning looking out and you already have, you know, eight to 10 inches of snow and it's still falling all day, it's different. This is 
an overnight event and by morning it's done and you get four to six inches of snow on the ground. Right, exactly. There's a bit of flurries in the morning by the time I got up. I think for, for me, I just got a little bit more snow than you did, probably around five, six inches or so that, that right. piled up. But yeah, I would say by the mid-afternoon, it, it started melting. So probably half of it was gone by then with the sun coming right. out and it no longer snowing. Temperatures went up by a little bit. Still freezing, but like you said, surprising that it actually did melt with that. But I guess the the sun was strong enough to help to melt that regardless of the below freezing temperatures. Yeah. Meanwhile, today when we're recording this episode, it's cloudy again. And have you noticed how much more cloudy it's been like it's over been the last four or five weeks? Since the winter, it, it's become very gloomy. Not a lot of sunny days. Or even when the sun is out, it might be out for a few hours and then it goes to that gloominess again. But what was nice was yesterday there was like a, a sunny sunset. So yeah. that was pretty nice to have once in a while because it it just really puts you down when all you see is gloominess day after day after day. And obviously everyone's still working, but working from home or, or for the most part. So it just gets very sad in this cycle of what's going on here. So I feel that sun just helps to really cheer you up and put you in a much better mood. Yeah, it was definitely quite chilly yesterday, but it's not going to be as chilly as it will be this coming Tuesday. I mean, by the time this episode goes up, it will have passed, but ultimately this coming Tuesday for us, it's the high is going to be 18 degrees. And that's without I the mean, wind chill, 18 right? 18 degrees, and that's without the wind chill. I mean, today's high is 40 degrees. I think yesterday's high was like 32, 34, something like that. But right. it was pretty chilly for the most part, and then you did have that intense sunshine, and so it was a little bit warmer when the sunshine was out there, but then once the clouds set in, it's chilly. Like today, it's 40 degrees, but it's cloudy. I think we're going to get some rain, right? and so it feels a little bit chillier because you don't have it that d- sunshine. It does, yeah. I've, I've had to toggle on and off the heat because it would get too warm, then I turn it off, then it gets too cold. So you just have to find that perfect balance because if it gets too warm inside, you just don't feel comfortable either. You feel like you're, you're suffocating. Then you yeah. turn off the heat, let it cool down a little bit. So it, it's just one of those things. It's hard to really get a balanced environment. Yeah, and it's also like when you go to sleep at night. I like it typically when it's cooler. I mean, I don't want to be freezing because obviously you could put layers and layers and layers. Right, you'll and feel comfortable, comfortable anyway. You don't want to be freezing, right, but you don't want to be warm. Right. That's why, like, in the summertime, if it's really hot and humid and sticky, you can't sleep. Well, the same thing in the wintertime, if, like, the heat is blasting and you don't have any airflow, you can't sleep. If it's too cold, you have trouble sleeping. But if it's just right, if you can get that right balance where there's fresh air, but at the same time, you put on your blankets and you're nice and warm and comfortable, then you can sleep pretty well. Now, getting up is a different story. Yeah, well, you know, when it's cold, you don't want to get up. That's right, the thing. Exactly. I exactly. mean, even at, like in the middle of the night, if you have to get up, it's like, oh, do I really want to get up? Because once I get up, number one, it's gonna be, you're gonna get get that blast of cold air. Yeah. And so you go, you do your business, then you go back to to sleep, and now it's gonna take a while because you now you have to throw an extra blanket on because you have to get your body to you readjust get to the again. warm temperature again. Yeah. And that could take like an hour. And so it takes you an hour to get comfortable. And just imagine if, let's say, you get up at 6 in the morning, you wake up at 5, and you have to, to get up. You know, briefly, it's like, well, yep. now it's going to take me an hour just to get comfortable to fall back asleep, and then I have to get out of bed anyway. Right, your alarm so clock like, goes on. Just as you're about to, to fall asleep, your alarm clock goes off, and you're like, oh, time to get yeah. up now. And 
I remember when I was traveling to the office that in the wintertime, it would happen where, yeah, the alarm goes off at 6 in the morning, and it's like, you know, can I just get like 15 more minutes? Can't time just slow down so I have the extra 15 or 30 minutes to sleep? And you would never have that. And then when you did have that, you tend to get up early because, like, you well, know, I'm awake now. And it's still now. dark out, so there's there's nothing that encourages you to get up. It's cold, it's dark, you don't want to get up. Once it's in the right. summer, by that time, the sun is starting to come up. It's nice, so you do want to get up, go out, enjoy some of the sun, enjoy some of the weather, even though, hey, yeah, you're going to work, but you get to enjoy that little bit of it, and it adds that energy for you. Yeah, but we are starting to see that now sunset is getting later and later, so... When you got to sending the clocks back, we were looking at sunset earlier, 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 earlier. And now we've kind of gone the other direction because I think I said to you a couple of days ago that sunset was now like 4.45 p.m. And you could tell right. because you look out the window at 4 o'clock. It's still sunny. It's not dark yet. Yeah. It's still a little bit bright and it's a different feel. And, and once it screws up my automatic lighting because yeah. I, I set it to 4. Now it comes right. on too early. Because it's still bright, so now I have to yeah. readjust it as it goes along. And this is like that worst time where you have to keep readjusting it, especially when you just want the lights yep. to automatically come on versus manually pushing a button and turning on the lights when it gets too dark. So yeah, it, exactly. it does become a little complex. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit of adjusting to get it to work out. So before we started recording, we, we got into this brief conversation about your setup, and we talked about it a lot last year about how you've rearranged your podcast setup versus what we used to do. Because when we used to record in person, we would pack up the gear at the end of the session. And then every time we would, we would meet, we would unpack it. It'd take us like 20 minutes to get everything hooked up. And you had this nice long table and we just kind of set everything up. And now, I mean, when, when we first started to do the remote recording, you were still kind of doing that. You were still kind of unpacking things and packing things. And then eventually you just said, I'm just going to leave it out. And then you finally got to the point where this isn't working for me. I mean, take me through that thinking when you started to think about redoing this. Because, you you know, we had talked about the fact that, you know, we wanted to kind of every couple of weeks get back into the recording. And once we were able to kind of get the functional and logistics out of the way, then the process got smooth. Now, for me, unfortunately, I have to still pack and unpack because I use this one work area to do everything. But for you, take me through kind of that process that you had in terms of why you decided to change up your setup. Because I know you also did it for work because working from home, you had to kind of change it up a bit from what you originally had. Right, absolutely. So, you know, the, at the beginning, you just think that this would just be a, yeah, a couple-week thing, whatever. So it works fine. But once you get into something where, well, this is going to be every day for who knows how long, you need to start changing up how you work so that you're comfortable. And if you're not comfortable, it just makes it so difficult to work. So initially, I had my work desk and to the side of it, just a little side table. And that's where I put the Rodecast on there and I just had the mic on the side. So whenever we had to do recordings, I just turned that side table so it, it would be convenient to my right and then put that mic onto my work table and then we would just do as we needed to with the iPad on my work desk. So we did that for a little bit. That was fine. Then I started thinking, well, this is actually going to become more permanent on a, on a longer basis. We didn't really know what, what was going to happen. Right. So I had bought a, a desk, an actual desk, but a smaller one that could sit to the right of my work desk. And that's when I started putting 
the roadcast there. Then I had the mic stand there. So anytime we had to work, all I had to do was move my chair to the right, sit there, and just do a little bit of configuration, right? Because it would just sit there in the corner, not really fully set up, but certain things were still plugged in. That worked for a while until I started getting annoyed with the the mic stand, which when I was trying to move it, it would almost fall over. I'd have to right. reach to grab it. Now, anyone who's worked with this type of equipment, you know that the mic stand is quite heavy because the base has to be able to hold the weight of everything. So right. there and are I've many times said a number of times yeah. that I have this issue with the Rode Procaster mic because it's a heavy mic. Right. But I don't want to get one of those desktop stands. Yep. So I had used the one that came with my Zoom, which is a very light tripod stand, and it you know I would have to use a cable bag to hold it. Right. So now I'm using this Joby tripod in order to hold it, and it, I mean it. It's able to hold the weight of it, but then it's really the mechanism where the mic connects to that flops a little bit. Right. So it's a little bit challenging. So as long as I don't touch it too much, then you're fine. fine. And and that was my thing too. Where yeah, as long as I didn't touch it, it was fine. But the moment I wanted to adjust something, it would it would start to topple over or or something would happen. And that's when I kept talking about getting an arm for this. And you know we we had conversations about this. Like oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Finally, right. bit the bullet. I was like, you know what? Let me just buy the arm. Bought the arm, got it in here, got it configured, and now it's a nice setup because I have the arm to the right of the desk. I have the roadcast on uh, a slightly higher shelf on the desk, and then I have my laptop and iPad so that, obviously, we're able to see each other, and it right. just works. And most recently, I just added the, the power strip that I previously had on the other table onto this table so that I'd be able to easily plug in my laptop, the iPad so it can charge and plug in some other stuff. And it's, it's just made it much easier and more convenient for me now because when we do this, I can just literally now slide over and do our recordings, just turn on the equipment and pull the mic towards me, and that's right. really it. There's nothing much more I need to do on that. So where it would have taken me, what, maybe a good 15 minutes to start getting everything set up, now it's literally like two, three minutes, and, and that's really it. Whereas for you, I know that takes like a whole 20 minute, uh, 20 minute process because you'll text me and say, hey, I'm getting set up now. I'm like, all right, great. I'm, I'm still here watching TV, drinking my coffee. <laughs> then, then I'll time it. Oh, okay, like a 15 minutes gone by. Let me get a glass of water, sit here and wait till you're ready. So like when right. you texted me, you're like, let me know when you're ready. I'm like, I've been ready for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I have to go through like equipment pre-check again because right. I always have to check all the knobs because as I said... I pack the Rodecaster Pro back into the box to keep it safe. But right. when I do that, the Rodecaster Pro, there's packaging for the two sides of the unit, cardboard packaging that you have to put back in so that it doesn't kind of wobble inside the box. But when I put that packaging in, the packaging on the side where the level controls are for the mics, I have to have all the levels back down to zero. And the problem with that is that that means every time we're ready to record, I have to recalibrate those levels back to where... I want them to be, so I can't permanently lock them in to where they are. I mean, it doesn't take long to calibrate that, but still, it's one extra step that you just want to make sure that everything sounds good and everything works out well. I think the other thing that we're talking about is cable management. That was the other side of it, is that you don't have anything tied down. Nope. And that's kind of like a little bit of an expansive story to touch on because from the IT standpoint, you always know that you know cable management is so important because one of the nightmares is having cables tangled all over the place. Right. And I would remember 
you know, even with good cable management, the annoying part is when you have to move things, you have to... You got to break it all down again. Exactly. That's the problem. And so it, it, it's great, yeah, to have cable management. And this it's not to say I don't do any type of cable management. I do tie them back down so you don't just have cables flying everywhere. So it's tied down enough that, all right, well, things are neat and everything else like that. But if I needed to move this to another table now, it wouldn't be so much work for me to do. Just a couple unplugs here and there, move it over. Versus if I tied everything down, made it neat, put it against under the table, and got it all cable tied, then there's a lot more you need to do. You got to undo all of that stuff, even with the arm. If I if I cabled everything through the arm, you can only imagine how much work that would be to undo all that. Right. And at that point, the best thing would be just buy another set of cables so that you don't have to undo all that stuff. Just unplug the mic and the roadcast from everything and then move it over and use a separate set of cables and, and do it like that. Right. And I mean, professional studios, they'll have everything nicely set up so that nothing's in the way. And if they do have to take things apart, usually, you know, they have another studio available so someone can use it and they can have this one studio down as they rewire. I mean, that's fine. But I think when you're doing it like the way we're doing it, it's like you don't want to get too fancy because you know that you're constantly readjusting based on what works best. And we may want to tweak something down the road. Or like I said, if we're doing a in-person recording, it's like, okay, you have your setup now. So we don't want to have to move everything so that you have to keep recalibrating it the next time we do a remote session. So it's like, okay, just throw a mic stand somewhere in a corner, put the mic on, hook everything up, and we're ready to go. I think the biggest challenge is will really be like recalibrating the mics because on the Rodecaster that you have, I used to be on mic one, you used to be on mic two, and we had that perfectly calibrated. And then when we started to do the remote session, you started to use mic one, and we had to recalibrate that so that it worked for you. So that means that if we ever do anything in person, for me, I have to use mic two now since mic one's calibrated for you and recalibrate that from scratch. Or I just make you bring your Rodecaster with you. <laughs> yeah, and then I have to recalibrate. I have to calibrate for the first time, Mike, too. Because right, right. Yep. For you yet. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, though. Yeah, I, I already have to, to bring a laptop, typically, so I don't want to have to bring too much equipment with me on that trip. So let's jump back a few weeks, because we went on a bit of a hiatus after our, our last episode. And it was really the holiday season. There was a lot of things going on, and we really didn't have a lot of time to sit down and go through recording sessions. So this is our first episode of 2022. But let's jump back into the holiday season because I think the last time we spoke was, was it, I think it was after the Thanksgiving holiday. Right. Yep. It was after the Thanksgiving holiday that, that we talked. So let's kind of see what happened since then. And, of course, we had the Christmas holiday. We also had, you know, unfortunately, a resurgency of covid because I think we had saw it and we, we had touched on it because there were always the concerns of, well, after the Thanksgiving holiday, as people have these gatherings, whether or not there would be any issues. And unfortunately, with this Omicron variant that has been out, it's spread quickly. It has literally started to make the rounds a lot faster than what we saw with any of the other variants. And so a lot has has changed since then. I mean, Rockefeller Center still had their tree lighting and their event. New Year's was different. There was in-person 
at Times Square, but they reduced it down to, I think it was about 15,000 people max. Right. So, I mean, originally the plan was to get back to a regular New Year's. And that was all good and fine early on. But then I think as they started to take a look, well, guess what? It's not realistic. How can you have such a major event now with this surge that you see? And then there were also a lot of companies that were talking about a January 1st or January return date to the office. And now we're seeing all those companies, they're backing off. They're saying, you know what? Let's keep it a little bit open-ended for the time being. I think some are saying, you know, let's wait until after January 15th to see where things are and then decide from there. But you look at like the subway system, the MTA, I think there were three lines that they suspended because they didn't have enough staff to keep operating the trains. So there's so much going on. I mean, in terms of for you, for example, what has happened in terms of where you work, in terms of guidance? Because I think early on, there was some guidance about possibly returning to the office. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, the idea at that time was return to office, January, so first day back, people would be coming back in at least on a part-time capacity, right? It wasn't full, hey, return to office, but there would be hybrid working, so probably two or three days in the office, and then the rest work from home. So that was supposed to be the idea. But as the surge happened, they had to go back on that, and they sent multiple emails just explaining, well, you know, if you feel comfortable, then you're more than welcome to come to the office. They were reinstating the masks again, where previously they said, well, once you're in the building, no masks are required. But then they'd have to bring it back up of, you you actually should be wearing your mask where there's going to be a bunch of people around you. Right. Outside of, you know, sitting at your desk, then that's fine. So they pushed that off. As of right now, they said they'll revisit this again later this month where there's a potential of maybe mid-February this might happen, but again, that's just uh, them saying, hey, if we had to throw out something, it'd probably be that, but we have to monitor it, and then we'll let everyone know. But they're holding up to their promise of saying, well, we're not just going to spring this on you and say, oh, now you have to come back. We'll at least give you a couple weeks' notice before we do expect people to come back in this hybrid capacity. So all of it is up in the air right now. Tons of people that I've asked, same situation where everyone was full on come back. Now they've pulled back on it and said, you know what? For now, if you could work from home, work from home. If you do need to come to the office, sure, come to the office. But make sure that at, at this point they've said you have to be vaccinated and you should be wearing your masks indoors when you're in a gathering. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think they're looking at the science. They're looking at the health guidance. And they're just kind of taking that that extra precaution because of the fact that even if you're fully vaccinated with Omicron, there is a greater chance of that breakthrough case because it is more infectious. And so as a result, and I mean, I think the preliminary studies say that it's not, you know, it's still mild. So it doesn't seem like it's as intense as Delta, but still, you don't want to... But it's spreading to, faster, though, more yeah, widely. Yeah, it's spreading and faster, right. In the, in the past week, I've had several friends tell me whether it, it's them who came down with it, mm-hmm. or their kids have come down with it, or their spouses. So th- it's somebody. But yeah. it's a lot more than it was back Delta and before that, where right. most of the people I talked to was like, no, 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 I, I've been good, you know, thanks for asking, this and that. So they may have known people who had it. But now right. with, with this... I'm hearing more and more people firsthand, people that I know directly that are getting it, 
So it definitely is spreading much more quicker. Right. But are they feeling it? Things like that. That's that's a lot less where they're saying, oh, I might have something mild. Feels like a, a quick cold or something like that. Right. Or maybe not even experiencing any symptoms. It's just that they've tested positive and now they have to quarantine themselves with the new guidelines that have come out and everything else like right. that. Many have done the, the home test. Right. And in some cases, yeah, it's been positive. So that's why they've now quarantined and not done all that. So they're not just using the tests that are, you know, that can be administered, but also right. doing this self-test. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the at-home self-tests, those are just out of stock. I've seen like in a number of CVSs, there are just signs everywhere that say, we do not have the at-home tests because right. there is a shortage now of those because of so many people buying those up and using them. But then there's also that concern of accuracy because there are a number of, I think, published reports that if you're asymptomatic, that the at-home test may not be able to detect the right. virus. And so you might get a false negative. And so yep. the PCR test have, have is you still seen the, 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 the test itself? What it looks like? I haven't seen, like, in person. I've just seen, like, uh, screenshots of it and people putting it up on, on social media. I, I it's mean, kind of it, like a... It, it looks like a pregnancy test. Yeah, well, that's that's with, exactly like the line the way. and everything. And someone has sent me a picture of that. And initially, I just looked at it real quickly. I'm like, a pregnancy test? And then I'm, they're like, no, it's a COVID test. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's so pretty it, much it, the same it thing. Really it's, it's very similar in terms of the design. And it's like, I think it's one bar for negative, right, two, two lines. bars and, for positive. And it represents yeah. something. I forgot what it was, but it was just very interesting to see that. And I, I thought they would make it a bit simpler. I think they just kind of use whatever they know. And based on that, design a test that, you know, can do what, what needs to be done. Right. I mean, it is where you do get the, the worry. And, you know, this has also been reported is for people who do take those at-home tests who test positive, unlike a PCR test, which gets reported to the state, and then the state reports it to the CDC, so they have the numbers. It's your choice. Test, you're not, right, you're, you're not reporting, reporting it, not. it anywhere. Exactly. The only time you might report it is if, let's say, you test positive, but you're not sure, or you test negative, and you're not sure, and then you go to get your PCR test. Right. And then you get your PCR test, that comes out positive, and now that's reported because you went to a facility where they have to report it to the state and the state reports it to the CDC. But if you're taking an at-home test and you test positive, no, no one, one knows, knows about it outside of, yeah, outside of you. So, I mean, that, so you could end up having, in terms of positive cases, a lot more cases than are actually being reported because they don't have to report it in. Early on when they had the at-home PCRs, it's like you do the swab, you put it into the vial, and then you mail and it you out. you still have to ship to, it out, right. Right. Then those facilities, those labs have to report it when there's a positive case. But here, the at-home test, you know, it's a rapid test, but again, no one's reporting it. So right. you may end up having more positive cases and just you're not getting those numbers in any of the reports because no one's, no one's saying anything. But Absolutely. then the other concern also outside of reporting is if you get a negative test and it's a false negative. So you, you are asymptomatic initially. And for whatever reason, you know, let's say you were in close contact and this is the other part is to remember the guidance that if you are in close contact with someone that, you know, just taking the test immediately is not necessarily going to register. You might it could take, take a few three, days later. Yeah, it could take three to five days before it actually starts to register, before you're, you are symptomatic. And so then it's kind of, again, you're kind of getting that false assurance that you're negative, even though, yes, at that moment you're negative. But the reality is it's just not enough to detect you. 
So, but three to five days in, all of a sudden, you could test positive at that point in time. So, I mean, there there is like a lot of back and forth over over this. And I think sometimes it's just the fact that when people are told, oh, you're a close contact, get tested, then it's like, okay, I want to rush to get tested. But the fact is, okay, I went to an event yesterday with them. Then they tested positive. So, obviously, if I go get tested now, that's what I want to do. But the fact is that I, I will probably test negative, you know, unless there was such a huge viral load that, that you received the more likelihood is that you're not going to be able to really get an accurate test until three to five days. And in some cases you might, you know, it could take the full 14 days before it goes through that cycle. I mean, I don't know if the research has changed since then in terms of the overall incubation period, but I think it's still 14 days that within that 14 day period, that's when you could possibly yep. test positive yep, or show symptoms. I remember it. I mean, obviously things are, are rapidly changing and we just have to, to see what happens between now and then. Again, we've talked about this a number of times on the podcast, and you look at where we were last April, where things were starting to look better, got through the summer, and then when we got into the fall, things were kind of starting to to shift, but we were able to kind of just level off, and then right after the Thanksgiving holiday, it it just kind of accelerates again. So, I mean, there there are some talk that, okay, we might be reaching that, that peak and then it'll just kind of start to level off for the winter and then hopefully things will kind of just plateau and then we'll see where things are from there but kind of just expanding on that let's talk a little bit about boosters because there's the big recommendation to get your boosters I mean I went in December to get mine and I went to the same place and this time things were different because when I originally got my first two doses, there wasn't like a huge line out the door. This time there was a huge line out the door, even if he had an appointment. So I had an appointment, but there was a long line, L-shaped line around the building for people who had appointments. And they were also taking some walk-ins. And one of the things that did change this time was that when I originally went, they were only offering the Moderna. Now they were also doing Pfizer. And inside they were pretty well-structured. You have like Moderna and Pfizer broken out and then those people who are going for the initial doses versus booster stations versus stations for uh, kids, for children and, and kids. So it was definitely well-structured that way. Like, for example, Pfizer, when you get a booster, you're getting the full dose, but Moderna, you're getting a half a dose. So it's a lot better that you organize it that way so that if you're getting like a Moderna booster, the person who does the initial dose isn't also doing the booster dose. So they don't have to keep going back and forth of, you know, when they're filling the syringe, getting the right amount that, okay, one should be a full dose if you're getting initial and it should be a half dose if you're getting a booster. So they were very well organized in terms of the stations. Where it was a little bit chaotic on the outside was when you first get there, they kind of, they're asking you the initial questions like, are you there for like the initial or are you there for the booster? Are you here with an appointment? So they give you like a little slip that has that information, but they're not like checking any of your credentials that you're supposed to bring. They don't do that until inside. And that's where it got a little bit crazy because you had so many people working, but they're working on top of one another from the standpoint of you talk to one person, then they step away and another person asks you the same thing. And it's like, they just kind of got lost. And I think you can't function very well when you have like everyone in the queue and then everyone just kind of, all the people who are working there are kind of just hopping through to each individual. You have to have some sort of streamlined process. 
And I think that's really where the only chaos happened was people were just kind of asking the same questions to the same people. And it's like, you know, that that's not very organized. That was probably like the only only bit of chaos. But I have to say that when I got my initial doses, it was literally like in and out. You go there, your appointment is at 11 o'clock, you get there by 11 o'clock, you get in, and then 15, 20 minutes later, you're done. In this case, it was like 45 minutes there because just the wait was so long. And they were accepting, like I said, walk-in. For every five or 10 appointments, they allow one walk-in to enter. And so that it wasn't too crazy, but it, you know, if you were planning on, oh, this is just going to take me 15, 20 minutes, it, it was 45 minutes for me. Now, what about you? Because I know last time you had a little bit of an experience going to the location that you went to and talk about your experience this time around. Yep. So this time I picked a different location and it's not that I intentionally picked a different location because of what happened last time. It was more of, well, this was available for a time that just happened to work for me. And this was again, right before the Christmas holiday. And I was expecting there to be long lines just because, and you know, you would, you had this probably because, Omicron was, was surging at the time, and also holidays. Everyone just wanted to get vac- vaccinated and, you know, call it a day, get the boosters and everything. So I went in with very low expectations. My appointment was for, I think it was 11.15. So I ended up getting there by 10.30, and I said, yeah, I'll just walk around for a little bit, just buy some time. But I looked, there was nobody online, but I figured, eh, as get closer there's probably gonna be a longer line so after walking around for a good amount of time i had nothing else to look at i don't know if you ever had that where you walk around you're like there's nothing you can look at anymore i've already circled three times now it's gonna look like i'm stealing something so yeah i said ah let me let me go check in it was i think uh 10 55 at that point let me just go check in there's no line standing there and the, the lady behind the counter just asked what I'm there for. So I said, just the booster. But I said, hey, I'm here early. It's for 11.15. They took my information, you know, grabbed my ID and all that stuff. Started processing. Then she gave me, you know, the normal papers you have to just fill out real quickly, you know, the, the little right. survey. So going through all of that was maybe four minutes or so. Then brought me over to the register, you know, just to process you. It doesn't cost anything, but through insurance, they still give you a receipt right. and all that. And after that, and said, head over into the room right by the register, take off your jacket. I'm like, all right, sure. Sat there. Lady comes in, jabs me. Like, oh, you're all set. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and by, by then, I finished like probably around 10, uh, 11.05. So even before my appointment was, there was no one else there. And everything just went through. I didn't have to fight anyone for it. Didn't have to worry about anyone else there. They were just cu- regular customers in, around the area in the pharmacy. And that was really it. But it was funny where it, it was just jab me. Didn't have to grab my arm. Just like, just jab me real quickly. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I was bracing for it. It's like, okay. Just hands me the card. You're all set. They even say, hey, stick around for 15 minutes just to be sure everything's okay. But I already knew that, so... Right. Yet again, I had to walk around for another 15 minutes of a store that I literally walked three times already. Right. But that was really it. And I actually didn't feel anything initially. It wasn't like the second shot where within that 15 minutes, you start feeling your arm getting heavy and everything else like that. So I figured it'd be light. But later on, then that's when it started kicking in. But just going back to the experience, it was very quick and easy. But I think it may have just been that it's early. It was early in the day. It was right. on a Friday that I did this. 
So maybe that's what it was. But I was going in there thinking the worst, and it just went really smoothly, quickly, and that was really it. So again, you know, I think everyone's going to have a different experience overall. But maybe this this made up for the the first two. That right. that I, I deserve this third one to be the smooth one. <laughs> now, when you got the booster, I mean, did she come in and fill the syringe, or did she have the syringe in hand, just like no, no, no? Go. She she did that. She did that in front of me. Okay, yeah. So okay, uh, she she had my card and everything in hand, just say, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I I went through. I skipped that part, but yeah, they, right. they still said the formalities. But yeah, she 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 loaded up the needle, uh, the put the alcohol on you, but that's usually when you think they could grab your arm and usually right, they're going to hold it or whatever. And then, but literally in. just wiped it. Then she threw that garbage, turns around, in. pokes me. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it was really quick. So I'll just brace it. I don't like needles to start with. Right. So I'm always like kind of shaky. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to look at it. Right. And I was waiting for, you know, okay. Usually it's grab your arm, cringe, poke. And then that's it. This was literally like, okay, here's the alcohol. Turn around. Oh, turn around. Boom. And that's it. Okay. Did it even brace for that one? But sure. Yeah. I mean, when I went last year to get the antibody test, right. for example, they have to do it up in the upper arm, pretty much where uh, where you fold your, your arm. Right. Because they have to get into a vein. And so at that point, what they have to do is, you know, they have to put the, the needle in there. And then they put the, like the, the little tube thing that goes in and drains the, the blood in order to get the sample right it's like getting and your so blood that, drawn pretty much yeah yeah it's getting your blood drawn and so the thing about that is you know it's a it's a fairly big needle and because it's going into the vein you feel right. when it you know that yep. that poke you don't want to yep. watch it because it intensifies it so you want to like not see it happen well, mainly and when you see the you, blood start coming out that, that's when you're like oh no see, what is going on oddly there? enough that didn't bother me as much it was just the the initial going in and then afterwards the fact that you know when they're pulling it out whether or yeah. not you're watching or not, you feel, you feel it. Yeah, feel that that motion because it's not something. It's one thing on your outside of your skin when you feel something. It's a whole right. other thing when you feel it inside the body that happened, and it's a, a different sort of, of feeling. So it's it's not exactly one of the things that. No, but I I, I know exactly to, uh, what you mean, and usually you you get that when you get your annual physical. So right. that I never can look at. I always turn my head to the other side. So when they're doing all their work, you feel that what they're doing, and you know what's happening. But I feel the moment I turn and look at it, I freak out. Because, again, I just don't like needles to start with. So yeah. I always have to look the other way and, and just start cringing. I'm like, oh, my God, can you get this done, right. done already? And it, it takes a while for them to draw your blood because I, I forget how, yeah. many, how, many, how much they have to grab from you. But you hear them flipping it out and putting the new vial in. Right, grab, because they have the to get enough in order to run all the different blood work. Right. When they do, like, the antibody test, it's just, like, the one vial. But when you're doing, like, Normal routine, the, the physicals, physical. They have to they grab have to a couple vials at least, of, yeah. So exactly. you can hear it switch it flipping out and all that. Uh, it, right. I could never look at it, but there there have been some times where I I end up turning and glancing at it, and I'm just like, oh my god, turn, turn back in the other way and start thinking about something else. Yeah, because I just can't look at it. It's, it's just right. it just well, makes even, me cringe. Even like with the vaccine or with the boosters, when they put that needle in, you feel it right. going in because it's going into the muscle. But then the other thing is, if you're watching it, and you know, I've turned my head. To, to see it a couple of times. And when that needle's coming out, it's like, you know, your skin travels with the needle. So it's like, it's one of those things that you don't really want to want to see. It's one thing, you know, you yep. pinch your skin and it, it like goes up. It's a whole other thing. This thing coming out, this right. needle coming out and your skin is traveling with it. 
And it's a whole other thing. But yeah. And I mean, that's why I cannot look at it. That's why yeah. I, I just have to turn my head the other way. I just get it done and that's it. But again, you you always think of the, yeah, they, they brace your arm and then it goes in. So you sort of know it in your mind. Okay, when is it going to happen? But this was just really out of the blue and it just it just made me pop up. I was like, oh, okay, it's all done. Great. But yeah. it, it just it just caught me up by surprise. I don't think I've ever had that happen to me before where I'm just sitting there. And you just you just get poked without someone at least grabbing your arm or, or something yeah, it's like, like a, that. Just I've a never quick had jab. That. Right. Right, exactly. And I even when I watch the, it on TV, I see, still see them. They're grabbing their arm and, and things like that. I've not seen one where they just literally you sitting there and they some just poke video, you. No, I have seen some video shots where they show when for people getting the vaccine where yeah. after they wipe it down with alcohol, rather than grabbing the arm, they literally just take the needle as if you're throwing darts. And it's like you just right, kind of right. put it in that, there. That's what it and felt they, like. Yeah. They, yeah. And and you do it that way, and I guess it's kind of just like you know rapid strike. You just hit the point, inject, pull out, and you're done. And I guess that's kind of the the process to it. I guess but it's yeah, I you mean, have that accuracy. You don't you don't just like slip and it just yeah, glides well, the mean, person. You, have, you also have a a pretty large work area to, right, to work right. with. I mean, definitely, yeah. With the second dose and with the booster, there was no sensation. Within the first few hours, I didn't feel anything. So, like with the booster, I was starting to think, like, well, did I get anything? And then about two, two and a half hours later, then you start in the muscle. You feel yeah, that you light sensitivity. It. Yeah. It's not like numbness, but it's just that the sensitivity. Like, you've worked yep. that muscle and starting to feel sensitive. And then It feels the like you just progress, came back from carrying, I guess, a bunch of groceries. And you feel yeah. like it's starting to get a little bit sore. You're like, oh, okay. Right. This it's that. starting to tense up a little bit. It's starting right. to react. And then as the hours progress, then it starts to hurt. But this time, I will say... In terms of pain level, I was able to still move my arm up and down and reach over to my other shoulder, where with the first two, when it started to really kick in, I wasn't able to do that. So this time, it was a lot better where I was still able to do it, and if I moved my arm more, then it kind of relaxed it. It kind of made it felt be- feel better. But what I will say is I did have this strange occurrence where normally with the first two doses, you know, it, it got sore and, and it hurt, and then it got better. For me, it felt like that night it got worse, then got a little better, then got worse again, and then it got better. Right. So that was, you know, one difference. And then the other thing is I still had, like, you know, the morning after. It's like the the muscle and body aches, the fatigue, just the lack of energy. I I definitely felt more tired this time where I would do something. And I, I had some time off at that point, so I was just at home. But I felt like I would do something for maybe five, ten minutes and get really tired. So I would lie back down now for a good 30 to 45 minutes. Not going to sleep, just that I needed right. to lie down. And then I got that boost of energy again, and I was right. able to do something. So I think the worst part was for lunchtime by the next day, which was Saturday, was, all right, that boost of energy got me enough to be able to make myself some food and eat. Then I felt tired. I couldn't clean a single thing. Right. Until the next boost of energy happened, probably 45 minutes later, then I just said, all right, here's my 10 minutes of, of energy. Cleaned everything, and it burned me out, and I, got, I had to lie right. back down again. And that yeah. happened through most of Saturday, I want to say. And that was even after taking, like, a Tylenol and trying to mm-hmm. – but that just helped to bring down the pain because the right. pain was pretty massive from that Friday evening where I think I told you I couldn't move my arm fully, fully up high. I could only right. move it up maybe 45 degrees before it just got very painful to move it any further up. So that was pretty brutal at that point. And then that went into Sunday, I'd probably say half of Sunday before it started getting better, where I've just felt more comfortable, where 
I could start doing my normal stuff and not just feeling either too tired or having that pain right. in my arm. Yeah, I mean, it took a few days to get over the initial. And then I think for me, just like with the initial doses, it took a couple of weeks still to really kind of get it fully out of the system because I would have like these random moments where, again, you have like this lack of energy, this fatigue. Right. And it was like something you just couldn't shake. It's kind of like yeah. when you have a residual cold and it's like the week or two afterwards, it's like every so often there's like just this little piece that's still sticking around. Right. And so I had that. And so then after really, I think once we got into the new year, it's like just, it just at that point, it just really shook you off. Fine and I was like, fine. After that point of time. But before that, it was just like, just random days. It's not like every day or all day. It's just like just random. And I think everyone's a little bit different. Your body works a little bit differently. And it was just kind of like the body just trying to readjust and say, okay, you know, I got this booster in here. I've got these resources, but I don't know what to do with it yet. And it's kind of like right. hiring new employees and you got new employees coming in and yeah, they don't know what I, to do yet. You need a few weeks to get, get everything right. organized. It, it, and that's the thing, right? You don't feel too great afterwards. And I, I think that's what... If now there's, there's going to be another booster or something, you know that now you're going to be down for another few days right. or however long it, it takes. I think that's the one downfall to it, unfortunately. Right. But, I mean, hey, if it if it increases that protection for another six months, then, you know, right. Right. it's worth it. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I would think that, you know, after you get, like, three doses, that your body would recognize the pattern enough to say, oh, hey, fourth dose, if you're, if you're coming in at a fourth dose, it's like, oh, we, we've already mastered everything, so this is not going to feel anything. Well, that's anything. what I was hoping for the booster, yeah. where it wouldn't be as bad, but I right. think the first one was probably the best one for me, quote-unquote, where it didn't really affect me. The second one was brutal, but this third one, it, it felt worse than the second one in right. some ways, right? And maybe not from the pain perspective, but definitely from the fatigue and that perspective, where yeah. it did hit you but i guess it's different so maybe maybe that's fair game so hopefully with right. the next one well i hope there's no next one but we, i'm sure there will be that we, it, we don't have know less i mean that's the thing because i mean they just recently with the pfizer they had changed the the timetable so they said that within rather than six months after you get your second dose five months now you should get get your booster and then with moderna they just recently did this same thing which is instead of six months now five months after get your booster Johnson, it's two months after you get your, your J&J to get the booster. Right, because that was just one shot. Right, but they're already talking about will there be the potential need for another booster because the concern is, again, after a certain amount of time, those antibodies start to reduce. And, I mean, right. I think both Pfizer and Moderna are working on an Omicron-specific vaccine to offer that protection. Right. But at the end of the day, it's like hopefully they're able to – design a vaccine that will be more capable of adapting to the different variants. And that way you don't need as many vaccines and as many boosters. Hopefully we get to a point where we're able to gain control over COVID and, you know, somehow get past what we've been going through these last couple of years. It's very hard because again, it's, it's not, an exact science. It's every day you're learning something new. And the longer that COVID is out there, the increased chance of all these variants. Because the thing about COVID is this virus also is learning too. It's learning how to right. adapt. And so we have to adapt, but we have to be ahead of the curve. Because if we fall behind and the COVID virus has the advantage, then guess what? 
it may nullify the advantage of your vaccines. Obviously, they don't have to start from square one, but the problem is that if you nullify your defense, then you have to come up with another defense. And so hopefully we are at a place where we're enhancing that defense so that we're going to be ahead of the curve. During the holidays, I did a FaceTime with a couple of friends from college, and we were talking about 2022 and in terms of COVID and what we thought 2022 would look like. And the consensus, unfortunately, was it's going to look very similar to, I think, 2021, where, look, right now, it's just don't know. We're hoping for the best, but as we make headway, so every five steps we go forward, we take a couple steps back because we're not able to move forward as well. Are we doing better than we were when the pandemic started? Yes, obviously. We've learned a lot more. We have more defenses. We have more tools at our disposal to help fight the virus. But is it still able to get a foothold and to push forward? Yes, it is. And so you then you end up with these situations where you have more breakthrough cases. I mean, if anything, from the time... COVID started to now, I've taken more precautions outside of just simply getting vaccinated, boosters, masks. I've kept up all the same safety precautions and then step it up even further to make sure that I'm protected. Because again, you know, we were talking about during the holidays, just kind of getting back to doing the normal routine. But again, it became tough because it's all these different challenges of, well, again, just like the podcast, we want to do this in person. Again, we have to take those safety measures to make sure that before I come to see you, I don't have any sort of illness because I want to be sure that I don't pass it on to you. Because here's the thing. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Yes, you're fully vaccinated. You have a booster or whatever. But again, everyone's different. Why experiment? Why take the risk? Right, exactly. And that's what we're trying to do. I mean, hopefully we can get back to doing more in-person activities. But right now it's just one of those things where, again— you know, with the with all the breakthrough cases and with this large community spread, it's like, okay, you just want to take the extra precautions. And I'm back into the, you know, when people cough, I've seen a number of people just in the last few weeks, they're like coughing. I was walking by someone, they were walking toward me and I was walking toward them. They weren't wearing a mask, I was wearing a mask, and they just suddenly coughed my way. <laughs> and it's right, like, right. so you're just kind of maneuvering away, but it's like, well, that's kind of a scary thought because if you did have COVID, well, you could get a bit of viral load from that. It's in your mind again more aggressively now that, okay, you know, we need to take the extra precautions. We want to be careful. A number of the stores that I go to now, previously they had loosened up on the mask mandates indoors. Now they put the signs back up. You look, you got to wear your masks in order to keep people safe. Hopefully we're going to get ahead of the curve and at some point in 2022 we'll turn out better, but... Like I said, talking with my friends, the consensus was, you know, unfortunately, 2022 is probably going to be very similar to 2021 unless we really get a foothold and we do better at what we're doing right now to fight COVID. Let me jump to one final topic as we close out this first episode of 2022. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, you were talking about your 20 plus year old PC that you've had. And we talked about that we used to build PCs all the time and the PC that you have was a custom build that you did. And you've done some upgrades over the years to it. But, you know, you had realized that it's not compatible with Windows 11 now. And so I had asked you, it's like, well, what are you going to do then? Are you going to build a new one? Because it's been a while. And there's like all these technologies, there's like all these water... Water cooling. Cooling units and, and this and that. I was curious, like, what are your thoughts in terms of your PC? Are you going to build a new one? Are you going to upgrade this one? Are you just going to say, it's time to retire the desktop? Well, 
you know, Windows 10 is still supported. So I think as long as that's still supported, I'll obviously keep it around. There's no reason to get rid of it just because it is still a high-powered device. I recent bought, recently bought a new video card to support the monitor that I right. replaced it, the existing one with. Not too expensive. Again, you know, small costs here and there are fine. But to build a brand new desktop, that's a that's a pretty hefty cost to add on there. Now, do I really need a desktop? I don't know. I mean, can I really just survive with using a laptop? I feel I can. But there are certain things that come out of the desktop, like the media drives, which you know, I know not really used anymore, but I still I still do have media. I do have Blu-rays or CDs or DVDs, things like right. that, that I have data on or do from time to time go back to. And that's what I use my desktop for because I have that. Right. So as long as, yeah, Windows 10 is supported, I'm going to continue to have that. But I think as it goes end of life, as it gets closer, that's when I'll make the call of whether I do want to replace the desktop. And if I do, yeah, I have to build it from the ground up, pretty much getting rid of the system entirely. And I'd want to build it with all new materials. Right. Now, let's say you decided not to build a new desktop. And that would leave you then with pretty much, in terms of your personal equipment, your MacBook Pro. Would you now decide that I'm going to get a second laptop that is a dedicated Windows laptop? Or would you just say, you know what, I'm just Mac only now. I'm not going to go with a Windows laptop. Potentially, I would get a dedicated new Windows laptop. But again, I'd have to see really what am I working on at that time on whether I do need one or not. I mean, with my Mac, I'm able to do pretty much what I need to do on the Mac side as well as on the Windows side, right, with virtualization. So there hasn't been anything major that I've not been able to do so far. But again, I really have to assess it at that time to see where everything stands and what is it that I'm particularly working on at that point. And maybe at that point, I might need that full-fledged Windows machine to do whatever it is I, I end up choosing to do at that, at that right. point. In terms of the virtualization right now with Parallels, you're only running a Windows 10 virtual machine, correct? Or are you running right. a Windows 11? It's only Windows 10 right now, but the view is that I'm eventually going to get this up to Windows 11 just to see how that looks like. Because right now, when I, I look at the machine, it takes up a lot of memory. And right. that's mainly when virtualization is being used. So I'm curious to see if using Windows 11, that will help to alleviate some of that. If it does, great. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world, but I do see the performance hit on the Mac itself when I have the virtualization up. And we've touched on this before, but you're still running an Intel-based Mac. And at yep. the time that we spoke about it, pretty much your Intel MacBook Pro is still working fairly well. But yep. given that you're seeing what you're seeing with Windows 10, for example. Now, obviously, Windows 11 is not going to run on Apple Silicon at this point in time. But given where you are now with your Intel MacBook Pro, are you seeing in 2022 the potential of getting yourself or starting to consider getting an Apple Silicon-based Mac? Potentially the second half of this year, I may be looking into that. But again, I want to see what Windows 11 ends up panning out to be on this. And I like to say I don't use my laptop as much as I used to use it. I use my iPad more. Right. And that's just because of the type of stuff that I'm doing right now. 
but I think it changes with whatever side projects I start working on or things like that. I think that's usually the driving factor of why we need to buy new equipment or this or that. And I think you had different factors too, you know, in terms of the devices that you purchased and whether that was more of, oh, I want to be able to test this out because I want to see how this works so that you're familiar with that technology. Right. Or whether it's for something that you're now working on to develop or things like that where it's more relevant now that you need an updated system. So I think that's really where that driving factor that comes in. Now, in terms of Windows 11, have you kind of played around with it and explored it a bit in terms of the look and feel and in terms of functionality and compatibility? Yeah, I'd probably say I've, I took a little bit of time to play around with Windows 11 on an older device that I have just sitting around. But I think outside of the first two weeks of playing around with it, I just sort of left it dormant for now. And was there anything significant in the change? Not really to me. I mean, you move the bar from the left to the center, but at the end of the day, it feels the same way. I know how to navigate around it. Did it really feel a lot better? I don't think so. I mean, it, it feels the same thing to me. But maybe it's just using it for so long, you just become so familiar that what else can you really change to make that user experience different? I mean, significantly different, not just by moving a few things here and there, but is there really something that can make me feel this is all different? And I think hardware comes into play there, right? Hey, you have a nicer screen. So yeah, you're going to get what they're trying to do in terms of appearance and the feel. But if you have an older device, you're not going to feel that anyway right. because you're not going to see that high res that they're doing with their backgrounds or anything else like that. So you need the whole package, in a sense, to be able to truly feel that. And maybe that will be my driving factor for getting a new Windows-specific device to be able to see how does that really feel, given that you know now there's not really like the Best Buys or Staples where you can just go hands-on playing with devices with everything going on right now. So I think that's what we would have done in the past, where you go to a store, get some hands-on feel, see how it is. But things are different now. And maybe that would be, like what I said, will become that driving factor to purchase a new device, see what things are, and stay ahead with the technology and see how how things really are. Obviously, our professional lives are in technology, so you always do have to keep up with everything. Otherwise, you're just behind somewhere, and you have no idea what everything is now versus five years ago. Right. And I think I had mentioned in one of our previous episodes that I had gone to a Best Buy and I was kind of playing around with the Surface devices because at the time I hadn't really used any Surface devices. So I was playing around with the Surface Laptop 4, the Surface Laptop Studios, the Surface Pro X, and the Surface Pro 8. And then subsequently, because I needed something to test Windows 11 on, and I didn't want to use my primary machine, I was debating between a Surface Laptop 4 and a Surface Pro 8. And ultimately went with the Surface Pro 8 because it had more functionality. And I I have to say that I'm pretty impressed with the Surface Pro 8. My expectations for the attachable keyboard or the detachable keyboard wasn't high. I thought that it wasn't going to be a really great build, but it turns out that's a really great keyboard to use. The, the Surface Pro keyboard is really comfortable to use, very easy to use. The audio quality on the Surface Pro 8 is really good as well. And the typing experience, even on the Surface Laptop 4, is pretty good. So I tried it at Best Buy, and just compared to some of the other keyboards I've used, even like on the Lenovo ThinkPads I've used, 
I actually like the keyboard on the Surface Laptop and the Surface Pro 8 better than I like it on the Lenovo. It feels more natural on the Surface devices. But definitely the audio is a lot better too because just listening to audio like doing YouTube videos or playing music in iTunes, the audio on the Surface Pro 8 sounds so much better than it sounds on my Lenovo. And then on top of that, you do have a touchscreen and you also have that glossy screen which is just really vibrant, the Pixel Sense display, which is really vibrant, which I really like. So I'm still kind of exploring it, but overall it's, it's been pretty good. I agree with you on Windows 11. It, you know, Microsoft said they built it from the ground up, and I just feel like it's just Windows 10 again with just some cosmetic changes. And outside of that, it's really the same Windows Yeah, I don't product. really know what, it, what they really mean by, you know, you, re- you rebuilt it from the ground up. Because what can you really change? It, it's, a, it's graphical interface right Right. sure okay you move things around but are you saying the engine behind it is completely rebuilt because i don't know if yeah i don't get i don't get the feel that it's like that it just kind of feels like the same microsoft windows between 10 and 11 it was kind of like moving between you know from the time we go from 2000 to vista and to Windows 8 and whatever, it's just, it feels like it's just in that same area. I mean, right. when you look at, like, like Mac OS, the look and the feel, but when you went from, like, Mac OS 9 to 10, you saw that change. And 10, for the most part, has been fairly consistent, but functionally, you see the difference. And for someone who has used, like, Mac OS 9 and the early versions of Mac OS 10 compared to the latest version, I do see the stability. I do see the improvements in performance. And I do see the difference between, like, using my MacBook Air, using Apple Silicon, and how it performs. So there are a lot of benefits. I recently helped someone with a MacBook Pro, a new one of the new ones, with the M1 Pro chip in it. And, I mean, it, it worked fine. On that one, I just used the migration assistant to migrate over from an Intel-based MacBook Pro over to the... Apple Silicon-based one. But overall, I mean, it seemed fine. I didn't spend a lot of time with it in terms of using it, so I I don't really know general performance-wise how it functions. I mean, I would have to wait eventually until I get, like, one with, like, M1 Max or whatever the iteration is down the road and see how it performs with some of the software I use. But just using the M1 on my MacBook Air, I mean, it works pretty well. It's very stable, it works with the Adobe apps. It works with Final Cut. And I don't really have any major issues. So I have to say that, I mean, I think it's stable. I think it performs well. And every year it's going to get better. And so it's just kind of like a, if you, you luck out and wait until the year where you can, you know, just kind of push it off until the right time, then you kind of get the most bang for your buck. I think that's really where, where we stand on that. On that note, is there anything else that you want to touch on on this episode of the podcast? We're all good. All right. So thank you for listening to the David Ronald Show podcast. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Still with Apple Podcasts, they haven't gotten that cover art updated. I don't know what's going on, but you know, hopefully they'll get it updated at some point. So you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Mixcloud, and Verbal. You can also follow us on Instagram at The David and Ronald Show. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, everyone.